Welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. In this episode, we're going to explore one very interesting question, and that is, how much truth is too much truth? How much truth is just enough when you're learning? And when is the whole truth and nothing but the truth actually too much for a student? Stick around. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to say thanks to everybody for all of the kind comments and support around last week's episode, which was my arrangement of Dona Nobis Pacem, Give Us Peace. Many, many kind comments. I appreciate that very much. And uh, if you haven't heard, uh, I've also sent out the MP3 audio recording of the arrangement for free. So uh, you can download that and have it on your phone or have it on your computer, use it with your students, even offline. If you didn't receive an email about that, you can log into Euctropolis and uh, you'll see the link in the community uh, attached to the post about last week's episode. So thanks again. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Uh, this week has been another busy week at Euctropolis. Uh, lots of interesting conversations about ukulele, about playing, about teaching, about how music works. And one of the questions that stood out to me was from Natalie. Natalie is working on lesson one of book four of the ukulele way. And remember, the ukulele way is the method where you learn how to play chord melody or what we sometimes call the solo style of ukulele. You're juggling all the parts simultaneously on the ukulele, like this. Or many, many other examples of that type of playing. Natalie is working on lesson one, as I said, and lesson one is all about the harmonized scale. If you've never come across the harmonized scale before, then you're in for a treat because the harmonized scale is one of the most useful things that you can learn on the ukulele. It's one of the most practical skills that you can possibly pick up. Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like there's two people playing. One person plucking the note and the other person strumming the chord. Pluck, strum, pluck, strum, pluck, strum, all the way up the scale. Now, if you've never heard of this before and you're really interested in diving into the harmonized scale, I'm not going to teach it in its entirety here, but I will give you a really good tip, and that is if you want to take a lesson with me specifically on the harmonized scale, walking through this step by step, and you're not yet a member of the ukulele way, all you have to do is go to www.euktropolis.com slash the ukulele way. That's euktropolis.com slash 
the ukulele way. And if you sign up for uh, the, the free lessons, you get three lessons for free. One of those lessons, the intermediate lesson, is the lesson on the harmonized scale. The very lesson that Natalie is asking about here. So that's a way to get that sample lesson for free, even if you're not a member of that particular course. So check it out uh, if you want to go on that deep dive and then come back here to the podcast. So you can see already how this harmonized C scale, because we're, we're dealing right now in the key of C, this harmonized C scale brings together the notes and the chords and blends them into one approach to playing. It's very, very practical and it's very, very useful because what it does ultimately is it gives you a handy-dandy answer key for the question, which chord should I play now, <laughs> right? We, we are constantly encountering this uh, in, in music. I know the note of the melody, but I'm not sure which chord to play with it. Which chord is going to sound good against this melody note? That is a question that comes up all the time. And imagine if you had an answer key that you could turn to whenever that question came up. Now, it's not 100% accurate, but it's going to get you in the ballpark and it's going to give you a really good shot at um, choosing or at least guessing the right chord in that moment. Very, very handy and very, very practical. For example, if I have a melody that goes like this. And I want to figure out which chords are going to sound good with the notes of that melody. Well, I just look to my harmonized scale and I say, well, a C note is probably going to go with a C chord. <laughs> I could have guessed that one. Probably don't need the harmonized scale to tell me that. But with the next note, it's the note B. Well, it's probably not going to go with a B chord. What is it? Well, I look to my harmonized scale and I can see that it's the dominant chord the G7 in this case, because I'm in the key of C. And here's the next opportunity I have to, yeah, to uh, stir in a chord uh, on the note G. Now, I might be tempted to think that I should play a G chord here, or a G7 chord, because uh, maybe this is the root of the chord. But my harmonized scale says, no, no, actually, most of the time, you're probably going to harmonize a G note with a C chord. Hmm. I don't think I would have just guessed that on my own. But sure enough, it sounds good. And I follow the same process through the entire melody until I get to the end. And lo and behold, most of the time, this harmonized scale is going to give me the correct answer. Not all of the time, because no answer key is ever totally perfect in music. There's always a margin of error, a margin of sort of subjectivity, and a chance that the composer does something really off script that just surprises everybody. Um, but most of the time, this harmonized scale is going to work. And this is what Natalie is essentially asking about when she posts her comment here. And her comment says, how does one go about finding the harmonized scales. 
plural because like I said, I'm only, I'm only teaching the C harmonized scale here. She says, I googled to try to find out how to find similar patterns for other scales and keys. But instead of finding the simple harmony pattern that you've taught here, I found these patterns of seven different chords, seven different chords, as opposed to the, the three chords that you learn with the harmonized scale. She said, I would love to have something this straightforward for each key. Okay, this is a really interesting uh, question and observation. Uh, first of all, has this ever happened to you, this experience that Natalie is describing, where you go to the internet and you try to find simple, practical explanations of music theory, practical ways of applying music theory, ways of understanding music that allow you to make more music? These things are, are hard to find, honestly. They're hard to find because what typically happens when we talk about music theory, and I'm guilty of this as well, we try to give a complete answer to the student's question. We try to kind of explain everything rather than explaining one little thing. And this is kind of a, it's a big juggling act for teachers, right? Um, it, 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 the question really is, how much truth do you tell at any given time? Let's just examine what Natalie's uh, really talking about here. She says when she finds these patterns of seven different chords. Have you seen this before? You, you know, you, you ask Google, how do you harmonize in the key of C? And the first thing you'll find is a list of seven different chords, C, D minor, E minor, F, G, or sometimes G7, A minor, and then B half diminished seven maybe, and finally C. You return to uh, the beginning. Okay, so what do those seven chords tell me? Well, they, they tell me a lot. In some ways, they tell me too much. <laughs> These seven chords are the chords that are possible when you build triads or tetrachords on each step of the C scale. I start on C. I build a chord by leapfrogging through the scale. And I get the C major chord. Then I do the same thing on D. I leapfrog through the C scale using only notes from the C scale. I end up with a D minor chord. These are just using the notes of the C scale. But this time I'm going to start on E. I leapfrog through the scale. And I get an E minor chord to happen. And, and we go on like this. And this is a thorough investigation of which chords are possible, which chords naturally occur on each degree of the scale. There's nothing wrong with this seven chord analysis of the key of C. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Perhaps the only drawback is that it's too true. There's so much information here that a student may not know what to do with it. The issue here is maybe that it's not all that practical. 
And the innovation of Chalmers Doan's harmonized scales is that he treats the scale like a melody. He says, what if this scale was a melody? Not just a, a theoretical framework for figuring out what chords are possible in a given key, but what if this scale was a melody? Let's treat it like we would treat a melody. And we're going to say that typically, at least at the early stages of uh, a musician's development, we're going to be primarily focused on the one chord, the four chord, and the five chord. So let's limit ourselves to those most common chords and have a look around at repertoire and say, on the C note, what tends to be the chord that we play? C. On the D note, if we look at a bunch of different examples, what tends to be the chord that we play when that D note is happening? Well, it turns out G7. And we go through like this. On the E note, we look at a bunch of examples. What tends to be the chord that harmonizes with the E note in the key of C? Well, it tends to be the C chord. We keep going on and on. One of my favorite examples is uh, the note G. I touched on this briefly before, but uh, let's, let's revisit this idea because it really illuminates the, um, the practicality of the harmonized scale um, that we're learning here. The note G, you would imagine that because the fifth of the scale is a very important note and the fifth chord of a key is a very important chord, you'd imagine that, well, when there's a G note in the melody, it's probably going to be a G chord or a G7 chord. But once you start really listening closely to a bunch of different examples, you'll find a different answer you'll find that most commonly this G note is harmonized with a C chord. This reminds me a bit of a book that I read years ago. It was called The Meaning of Everything. Uh, My dad bought it for me for Christmas. It was sort of a history of the Oxford English Dictionary. (laughs) So such a random book to buy, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, what what I took away from it, one of the things was that when you're defining a word, um, the most useful thing to define it with is examples of that word being used in real life. I mean, you could give a theoretical definition of the word, sort of a, a history or like a uh, an etymology of how that word came to be and how it's derived from Greek or Latin or whatever. But really, the most interesting and practical thing is to just show a person how the word is being used in literature and in speech. And it's an extremely practical but powerful way to go about understanding something. And that's exactly what Chalmers Doan did when he developed this harmonized scale. Let's look at some examples. Uh, Let's look at something like twinkle, twinkle, little star. So we got C, C, G, G, A, A, G as the notes. Lots of G's in there, right? So we would think 
if we were just uh, approaching this for the first time, oh, well, when there's a G note, maybe I have a G chord, right? That sort of makes sense, right? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Hmm. There I played a G chord every time there was a G note in the melody. Listen again. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. I mean, it doesn't sound bad, but it's not the way that we have heard it since birth. The way we've heard it since birth is twinkle, twinkle, little star. There I have the star note, which is G, and the C chord, harmonizing it. Not what I would have guessed right out of the gate, but it is what the harmonized scale predicts. Other examples, um, London Bridge is falling down, lots of G's here, G, A, G, F, E, F, G, uh, it starts and ends on the G note, so I might think, oh well, whenever there's a G note, I'm going to play a G chord, it would sound like this, London Bridge is falling down, um, sounds kind of nice. It's a reinterpretation of the harmony, but it's not the way I've heard it in the real world. The way I've heard it in the real world is like this. London Bridge is falling down. All of those G's happen over top of, you guessed it, C chords. London Bridge is falling down. And that's the way that we typically hear it. That's the way that beginners are trying to play it. They're trying to play it right. They're trying to discover how to play it the way that they've heard it in the world. And so, I mean, there are many, many other examples, but what this shows us is that Chalmers Doan, in defining the harmonized scale, is defining harmony in the way that the original Oxford English Dictionary defined it. He's defining it in, the, in terms of how do we actually use these chords in real life? And let's take our cue from real life examples and create uh, our analysis of harmony based on just practical reality, not based on every possible iteration of harmony in this key, but based rather on a practical approach to music making. So to wrap things up, what are the takeaways here from this discussion with Natalie this week? I think there are three things that we can take away from this discussion. The first being that there's a big difference between the harmonized scale which was first developed by Chalmers Doan on the ukulele, taught to teachers like uh, Peter Luongo, Jamie Thomas, uh, Bonnie Smith. They then taught it to me and my generation. I'm now passing it on to really anyone who will listen because I know this is so practical. This is based on how chords tend to be used in real life. There's a big difference between that and a more complete analysis, a more thorough analysis that says C, D minor, all of the chords, E minor, F, that are possible in a given key, 
This analysis, which is much easier to find on the internet or on Wikipedia or whatever, this type of analysis is more like a, a harmonic dictionary of a particular key. It says, here are all the possibilities on each note of the scale. Whereas Chalmers-Dohn's harmonized scale is more like a storybook in a particular key. It says, let's treat the scale as if it were a melody and harmonize it so that it sounds tuneful. Okay, those are two very different approaches, and I'm trying to make it clear why Natalie went looking for one and found the other. It's much more um, common to find the seven-chord analysis, which is good and true, but not necessarily as practical. The second thing is that Natalie asks, you know, it, wouldn't it be nice to have uh, a resource like the harmonized scale for every key? And the second takeaway here is that you do have that. As long as you look at this um, harmonized scale, not in terms of letter names, but in terms of Roman numerals, right? Saying one, five, one, four, one, four, five, one. And if that all seems like a very long random sequence of numbers, then go and get that free sample lesson from the ukulele way that I talked about. Because in that video lesson, I show you an easy way to memorize that sequence so it won't seem so daunting. But if you take the letters out of the equation and you just focus on the numbers, you know, numbers don't lie. <laughs> letters lead you astray, but numbers don't lie. In music, the numbers 1, 5, 1, 4, 1, 4, 5, 1, which is the sequence of harmonies that we're using, that sequence will travel with you to other keys. So if you go to the key of um, F, for example, uh, we would have 1, 5, 1, 4, 1, 4, 5, 1. I'm using the exact same sequence. I'm kind of impressed that I got that high up, by the way. Uh, but we're, I'm using the exact same sequence of harmonies, but I've just transported it to a new key. And I have to figure out what the one and the four and the five are in that new key, but I can use my cookie cutter to um, discover the harmonized scale in other keys. As long as I get beyond the letter names and I get to the fundamental harmonies that I'm using, that gives me something that, um, that I can really use beyond the key of C. So that's thing number two. And finally, just to end on a more philosophical note, um, this whole discussion underscores something that I find myself daydreaming about from time to time, and that is, how much truth do you tell as a teacher? How much truth do you tell at any moment in time? The same, by the way, is basically true of parents. You know, How much truth do you tell? For example, if um, somebody is learning how to drive, I'm probably going to tell them, stop at a red light. You always stop at a red light. Now, that's probably a good place to start, even though it's not quite true, right? I mean, 
There is this exception to the rule that says, well, in certain circumstances, you can turn right on a red light, but muddying the waters with all of that truth right away can be confusing for a student. So I might just say to them, stop at a red light, period. I remember a workshop that I sat in on with Lyle Ritz one time years ago, and he, somebody sort of called his bluff on one of these type of axioms that he was saying. He was saying, never do this and always do that. And one of the students says, well, aren't there any exceptions to those rules? And Lyle paused for a moment and, and he looked up and said, when I say never, I mean not usually. And when I say always, I mean most of the time. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that is so good. Like, that is just a gem of a quote. And I've always remembered it. So, how much truth do you tell? Another example would be uh, water. You know, water does not conduct electricity. I didn't know this. <laughs> I thought, you know, if you, if, if you drop a hairdryer into water and you're sitting in the bathtub, you're toast. You know, I thought because water conducts electricity. Well, it turns out, you probably know this, I'm probably the last one to, you know, figure this out, but water itself does not conduct electricity. It's the stuff that's floating in the water, all the little minerals and the little bits of sodium and, and, uh, and metals that are floating in the water that are dissolved in the water is actually the stuff that conducts electricity and can be, you know, um, lethal. <laughs> but am I going to tell a student or a young person, water doesn't conduct electricity? It's actually the stuff dissolved in water that conducts electricity. So that's why you shouldn't drop a you know, hairdryer in the bathtub. No, I'm just going to say, don't drop your hairdryer in the bathtub because water conducts electricity. <laughs> you know? I'm going to tell a little white lie because the whole truth and nothing but the truth would be too much at that moment. How do I know when the student or the child is ready for more truth? Well, probably by listening to them, when they start asking questions, when they start showing that they want to go deeper, then we start letting the line out and telling more truth, right? I don't think of myself as a liar. <laughs> and I don't think that teachers should think of themselves as liars. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like you have to think of yourself as telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but over a period of time. <laughs> maybe that maybe that is the way around it. That is the way that we can still sleep at night and feel like we're not leading our students astray because we're we're giving them the truth, but not all at once. I don't know. I do not have the answers to this. I have many questions. And uh, I would love if you would uh, chime in. I'll post a thread, as I always do, in the Euctropolis community, and I welcome any discussion to follow up on, on these uh, ideas in that thread. Thank you to Natalie for the interesting observation and question. I hope that was helpful. Thanks for tuning in to another Euctropolis podcast with me, James Hill, 
I'll be back again next week with more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at Uketropolis. And in the meantime, you can head over to uketropolis.com and check out the library of unique online ukulele courses that we have there. And uh, take a free lesson, try a free sample, and if you choose to become part of the community, you'll find it a very warm, welcoming group of people who are all trying to do what you're trying to do, which is to learn more about the ukulele and connect with other people who are doing the same thing around the world. Take care, everyone. And until next week, keep on strumming.